Our text for this morning can be found in Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 6. Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 6, and we'll be going through verse 14 this morning. And I hope as I read this, you can see how we've already been echoing the words and the, the meaning of this text and the songs that we've been singing. This is what the text says. Starting in verse 6. Let's start in verse 5, just so we pick up the whole sentence here. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for... The righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And we know that your words have been written down for us in the Holy Scriptures. We know that all of Scripture is the result of men being carried along by the Holy Spirit. And we know that all of the Scriptures find their fulfillment in Christ Jesus, your Son and our Lord. So Father, help us this morning to understand what we have read in your word. And, and understanding, Lord, enable us to be doers of your word and not just hearers, so that in everything we might be pleasing to you. We pray all this for your glory and our good. Amen. October 31st, 1517. A day that depending on where you exist in the realm of Christianity either lives in infamy or great esteem. It was on this day, a brisk fall morning in Wittenberg, Germany, that a lone Augustinian monk makes his way through the streets. He's heading to the door of the great castle, great castle church there in Wittenberg, simply because on the door of the castle church was where it was the town forum. It was where you posted announcements, and he had an announcement he wanted to post. His goal was to post some things that he had written up, some problems that he saw with the church, some ways in which he had saw the church needed some correction, some ways the church had strayed from the teaching of the scriptures. He had no other agenda other than calling the church back to Holy Scripture and faithfulness to Christ. He was hopeful at this time, that the Pope and the Cardinals would be more than open to his corrections. After all, he was simply saying nothing else than what the Scriptures said. And why would the Pope not listen to the Scriptures? He gets to the castle door. He takes his hammer within his hand, nails his 95 theses to the door, and heads home for a pint. His name was Martin Luther, as you may have guessed. And yes, he probably did drink beer for breakfast. Now, this young monk had no intention of splitting the church. 
And he had no way of knowing the firestorm that was about to ensue in his, li- in his life and across the entire world. He could not have predicted that a great reformation of the church would have begun and that soon he would be on the run as a fugitive, pursued by all of the forces of the Vatican and of the Holy Roman Empire. Now, why do I tell you this? Two reasons. Number one, Josh gets mad if I don't put any church history in my sermons. <laughs> Number two, it's Reformation Sunday. So today, Tuesday is October 31st. It's All Hallows' Eve, it's Halloween, but it's also the day that we celebrate the Reformation because it was on that day that Martin Luther posted his 95 Theses. And typically in some churches, the Sunday before Halloween is celebrated as Reformation Sunday. Now, the funny thing is we didn't plan uh, to remember or celebrate Reformation Sunday in any specific way, but in God's providence, our text this morning touches on one of the doctrinal issues that was at the very center of the debate of the Reformation, and that is the doctrine of justification by faith alone. It is over this doctrine that the battle between the Reformers and the Roman Church raged most fiercely. Why? Well, because your understanding of this doctrine of of justification is absolutely central to everything else that you believe about the Christian life. It's essential to what church you decide to join. It is one of the questions that decides, are you going to be a Roman Catholic and follower of the Pope, or are you going to be a Protestant and follower of the Scriptures? It is the question of how is a guilty sinner to stand before a righteous and holy God and not face condemnation? How does a human receive salvation before the judge of all the earth? There were two answers during the time of the Reformation. The Pope and his henchmen said justification is by faith and works. A sinner must believe in Jesus and then continue to keep himself on the right path and continue to earn his forgiveness by doing good works. You must merit, in some form or fashion, your salvation. Luther and the Reformers, on the other hand, said justification is not faith and works. Justification is received by the sinner through faith and faith alone. When a sinner places their faith in Jesus Christ, they are justified declared once for all righteous before God. Salvation, in, in other words, is not merited or earned at all, but is entirely a gift of God's grace. Now, what does this have to do with Galatians? Well, I think you can already start to see it. In our text this morning, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, continues to address that very question. And this question, this question of justification, is at the center of, of Paul's letter to the Galatians because it is false teachers that have come into the church of Galatia that are teaching a different way of justification than Paul is. In fact, they are teaching a way of justification that the more you look at it is a lot more like the Pope's version than it is Paul's version. And so Paul writes this letter to correct them and he begins to answer these questions. How does someone become a part of the people of God? How is someone saved? How, how does someone receive the salvation and blessing from God rather than receiving condemnation and damnation from God? Is it by trusting in Jesus Christ as Messiah? In other words, faith alone. Or is it by trusting in Jesus Christ as Messiah plus doing good works? Faith alone or faith plus law keeping? Faith alone or faith plus obedience? Faith alone or faith plus merit? That is the issue here in Galatians. Now, Paul's already answered that question for us. We saw this in Galatians 2.15. He made it very clear. He said, a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So right there, we already see Paul is saying, yeah, I'm on Luther's team. Really, Luther's on Paul's team. So in chapter 2, Paul had made this clear. But now he's got to defend his thesis. So chapter 2 is really, uh, that, that section of chapter 2, 15 through 21 is kind of Paul's main point. It's his thesis statement. 
And then three through five, chapters three through five, is Paul developing his argument and showing the Galatians from the Old Testament and from kind of theology in general why what he said is accurate and why the false teachers are wrong about what they are saying. What he is doing here in our text is what he has done in these previous verses, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, is remind, we saw this last time we were in Galatians, that Galatians, that their experience of salvation was one of faith. This is why he asked all these questions in chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. He said, uh, was, let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Does God work amongst you by works or by hearing with faith? The implied answer is faith, faith, faith. The answer is faith. Their experience of salvation as Gentiles was one of faith. Now, Paul turns away from their experience and turns to the Old Testament. And in verses 6 through 14, Paul Really, he stays in the Old Testament until chapter 5, but in this morning's text, Paul argues from the Old Testament that justification has always been by faith alone and has never been by law-keeping. It's never been by circumcision. It's never been by Sabbath observance. That has never been how anyone who is right with God has come to that status. It's always been by faith and faith alone. Paul does this with six quotations from the Old Testament in the space of these nine verses. This is a concentrated, distilled Old Testament theology of salvation. Now again, it's important to remember, Paul's responding to what these false teachers have said. Now these false teachers had claimed, had had told the Galatians that Paul had abandoned his Jewish roots and had abandoned the law and had abandoned the Old Testament scriptures in favor of some newfangled Jesus movement. Now, that was the wrong thing to do. If there is one person you don't want to get into a debate with over the Bible, it's the Apostle Paul. He, before he was even converted, he was a biblical scholar. This is his domain. They are stepping into his territory. This is his area of expertise. It'd be like challenging Floyd Mayweather to a boxing match, okay? It's a very bad idea. Uh, And and it's even worse than that because they've invaded one of the churches that he's planted. So it'd be like punching one of Floyd Mayweather's kids in the face and then challenging him to a boxing match, okay? Horrible, horrible idea. They're coming into Paul's house. They're endangering Paul's children, and now he's going to beat them at their own game. He's going to take them out to the theological woodshed and deliver a biblical beatdown. And we get to watch and we get to learn. Paul goes into lawyer mode here. And so he's going to argue from the Old Testament that salvation was always by faith. Justification was always by faith alone. It's the only way it's ever been. And so his first point here is Abraham. He takes us first to Abraham And this is kind of his, there's three larger points. The first one is Abraham was justified by faith. And essentially the way that Judaism works is Abraham, whatever was good for Abraham is good enough for everybody else. We're going to see that. Now, before I read these verses for us and explain, I just want to kind of clarify a couple definitions that are crucial for us to understand Galatians. When I say justification or, or justify, here's what it means. It means to be declared or counted righteous before God. To be declared or counted righteous before God. It's forensic. It's legal in nature. It does not mean that God makes a person, person inherently righteous or good, but that he declares them to be righteous in the courtroom of heaven. Justification. That's what that means. Secondly, blessed. To be blessed. What does that mean? We're going to see a lot of that in the story of Abraham. We're going to see that in these first three verses. What does it mean to be blessed? Well, it could mean a lot, but essentially what it means here is to receive the favor of God. So to put it in human terms, means to be on God's good side, to be a part of the people of God that he is favorable towards. Now, obviously you can see justification and and to be blessed, these, these two concepts are linked and we'll see that more and more. 
Okay, so now that we kind of have those straight, let's look at the text. So verse six. So remember, he's just asked them, which way does God work among you? Is it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? They would have answered, it was by hearing with faith, Paul. Paul then quickly turns and he's gonna pull the rug out from the false teachers and basically say, that's exactly how, what happened to Abraham. Look at verse six. Just as, so just like you, Receive justification by hearing with faith. Receive the spirit by hearing with faith. That same thing happened to Abraham. And he quotes Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. How many times can you say the word faith in the space of three verses, Paul? You can see where his emphasis is. But do you see his, his logic here? Verse six, he's, like, he's saying, hey guys, it makes sense, Galatians, that you Gentiles were justified by faith because that is the same way that Abraham was justified. By faith, not by works of the law. Now, at first read, it seems kind of random that Paul brings up Abraham here. Like, it's almost like in the middle of a sentence, he's just like, yeah, Abraham. So what is going on? Well, again, we have to put ourselves in a Jewish mindset. Abraham was considered the father of the Jewish people. I mean, after all, in the story of Genesis, we saw that Abraham was a pagan man. God came to him, called him out of the nations, and said, I'm going to make you a nation. This was the beginning of the Jewish people. The entire Hebrew nation came from this one man. He was the ultimate patriarch of the Jewish faith and people. And he was someone that the Jews of Paul's day pointed to as the prime example of obedience and law keeping. Now, that's kind of interesting because you might immediately think, well, wait a minute, wasn't Abraham before the law came? Didn't the law come like 430 years after Abraham and Yes, it did, but the Jews looked at that and said, that's even better than that he obeyed the law because he obeyed the law before it even existed. And after all, it was to Abraham that God first gave the, the command to circumcise, and he obeyed. It was Abraham who was willing to sacrifice his own son. What is that if not a demonstration of Abraham's righteousness and obedience to God? And Paul disagrees with none of that. Praise God that Abraham was obedient to God. But that is not, this is Paul's point, that is not why God justified him. Paul puts his finger on the issue in Genesis 15, 6. The text says, Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed, he had faith, he trusted God and it was on the basis of that faith that God counted or credited or justified him. Genesis 15, now this is very important. That is before Abraham obeyed God in circumcision. That comes in Genesis 17. And it's before Abraham obeyed God by being willing to sacrifice his son Isaac. That's Genesis 22. So before Abraham had done any of these things, God justified him, counted him righteous on the basis of his works? No, on the basis of his faith, not on the works of the law, not on his obedience. God justified Abraham because Abraham trusted and believed in God's promises. And so Paul then hammers this home in verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Now, I don't know if you can catch this, but there's, this is incredibly insulting to Paul's opponents here in Galatia. He makes it clear. What matters? Who are the sons of Abraham? Those of faith. Those who seek righteousness from God simply by faith and not by keeping the law. In other words, what he's saying is these false teachers who are claiming to be Jews and keep the law and are trying to pull you back to the law, they're not sons of Abraham. I don't care if they're Jewish. They're not sons of Abraham because they're not doing what Abraham did. They're not trusting in God for justification. A Gentile sinner 
whose faith is in Christ Jesus, is a son of Abraham a thousand times more than an unbelieving Jew who is seeking to earn righteousness by the law. That's Paul's point here. You see that in the text. There are no Christians, there are no followers of Christ, true followers of Christ, who are not sons of Abraham. And by extension, there are no non-Christians who are sons of Abraham. Paul here is making this adjustment to their theology, saying, the family of Abraham is not the Jews. The family of Abraham is the people of Christ. Because Abraham was justified on the basis of faith, just like you Gentiles. The only way that someone is a part of Abraham's family and receives Abraham's blessing is through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, Here's what Paul's not saying. He's not denying that Jewish, Jewish ethnicity or genetics or DNA is a thing. Of course, there's a Jewish ethnic people. But as far as the scriptures are concerned and as far as salvation is concerned, as far as justification is concerned, as far as the blessing of God is concerned, Paul is saying those of faith in Christ are the sons of Abraham, are truly Abraham's family. Now, he'll hammer this home over the next two chapters, but he begins the argument here. And if that sounds a little strange, that sounds a little radical to you, Paul is simply saying the same thing that Jesus said in John chapter 8 to the Pharisees. Now in John chapter 8, Jesus and the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, they get into this big debate, and it's one of the most tense pieces of scripture in the Bible, and we're, we don't have time to go through all of it, it's quite long, but just listen to this, this one section. He's in a debate with these Jews, and they're questioning his Jewish heritage, and he questions theirs. So they answered him, the Pharisees, and they said, Abraham is our father. We're Jews. Jesus said to them, listen to what he says, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. What's Jesus' point? And in John, the, the Gospel of John, what are the works that the people of old did? It's faith in Christ. Jesus says, if you were Abraham's sons, you would believe in me. That's what Abraham did. And later, which is really cool, Jesus will tell them, I talked to Abraham. I know him. <laughs> and he believes in me. You guys don't. Uh, I'm having... I really want to go into John chapter 8. We don't have time. Uh, he says, you're of your father, the devil, is what he says later. Not going to go down that road. Okay. Uh, back to Galatians. So Paul is doubling down on this idea. Look again. at Gen look, look, So now he goes to Genesis chapter 12, and it's really important. He goes Genesis 15 back to Genesis 12, because Paul, you'll know this if you've read Romans, he uses Genesis 15, 6 as like glasses to read the rest of the Abraham story. He reads everything else through that. And look what he says now in verse, uh, here, here in verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. And that word nations is the same word for Gentiles. By the way, as a quick side note, look at Paul's view of Scripture here. He clearly views Scripture as authoritative and matter of doctrine. He clearly views it as the very revelation of God to it, to, to us, so much so that he can say God is speaking, he can say Scripture is speaking, it doesn't matter, it's all the Word of God. And so much so that he can say that the gospel is being preached to Abraham. Look at that. He takes us all the way back to the beginning of the Abraham story. Genesis 12, 1 is the beginning of the Abraham story. Genesis 12, 1 through 3 are the very first words that God speaks to Abraham. And again, we find out through Jesus, it was Jesus appearing to Paul, the pre-incarnate son. What was the first thing, the first words out of God's mouth to Abraham? The gospel. The gospel. God came to Abraham and he preached the gospel to him. That's amazing. Not a gospel, the gospel, like the gospel of Jesus. That's what he said. He announced it beforehand to Abraham before he said anything else. That's what Paul is saying. 
And this has massive implications for how we understand the Old Testament and how we understand who Jesus is. Paul is saying that this promise God made to Abraham in Genesis 12, the promise to bless the nations in him, was the promise of Jesus Christ. It was the promise of the salvation of the Gentiles through the work of Christ, Abraham's descendant. It was the promise that one day through Abraham's line, God would bring the Savior of mankind, and through that Savior, he would accomplish the salvation of the Gentiles, and he would bless the nations through him. Brothers and sisters, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not simply a New Testament reality. Justification by faith alone is not something that only comes up in the New Testament. That's what Paul is telling us here. The good news of Jesus Christ and salvation in his name, this is the story of the entire Bible. It's one story. The gospel was present in the Old Testament, in its seed form, in its very shortened form in a way that Paul says later is hidden but now revealed. And by believing these promises, by believing the gospel that he heard from God, Abraham was justified and counted righteous before God. And this is how all of the Old Testament saints were justified, not by keeping the law, but by faith in the promise of the coming Messiah, by faith and faith alone in the promises of God. Now, brothers and sisters, let's just take a moment to pause and reflect on the goodness and mercy of God towards us in Christ Jesus. Think, think a little bit about what Pastor Rudolph showed us last week from Genesis. God has been sovereignly planning and executing our salvation from the beginning of time. The gospel that you heard preached by someone was the fuller revelation of the same exact gospel that Abraham heard. He believed and he was counted righteous. Your experience of salvation, though much fuller because it comes after Christ, was the same experience that Abraham had. Justification by faith alone. Hearing by faith. The entire Old Testament is the history and plan of our salvation. The New Testament is the execution of the plan. And we are still living in that time. You see, the heart of God exposed in this. God is a God who from the very beginning desires to bless the nations. God came to Abraham even before Abraham believed This is where God is sovereign, and we saw that last week. God came to Abraham before he believed and said, I'm going to do this through you. God is merciful, he is faithful, and he is love. And this story of salvation, the story of the Christ, the Messiah, from the beginning of Genesis all the way to Revelation, is the story of the universe, and we are still living in it. God has orchestrated all of this, all of history for the salvation of his people. So that is the lens through which we must view our reality and even our very lives. So Paul's point, the only way to be justified is by faith. That is the only way that anyone has ever been justified That's how Abraham was justified, and by extension, anyone else after him is less than him, and so that's how everyone was justified. So he hammers it home again in verse 9. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Faith, 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 faith. Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, Paul has pulled out the rug from under the false teachers here. Or if we want to continue with the boxing analogy, which is fun, he's knocked them against the ropes. Okay, so they're, they're doing this. Their main argument is Abraham, and he just took that from them. And he's just going to keep hitting them. No mercy. Strike hard, strike fast, no mercy. Right? Thank you. Karate kid. Uh, and he's shown now that, Ab- okay, so Paul is essentially like taking all their stuff. He's like, okay, Abraham's on my side. 
And now Paul is going to go to their favorite thing, the law, and say, nope, that's on my side too. So he's gone to Abraham, now he's going to go to the law. And he's going to show them clearly, and us by extension, that the law, which these false teachers claim to love so much, does not justify. It only condemns. And that's kind of his second big point here, the law condemns. And he does this the same way that he does, he did earlier. He's going to quote some Old Testament texts. Well, he's going to make a statement and then support it with an Old Testament text and then make a statement and then support it with the Old Testament. He's like a lawyer. Exhibit A, exhibit B. Look at verse 10. So, so here's why justification is by faith is the only way. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. We saw that in Deuteronomy 27. That's where he's getting it from. Now, the ESV says all who rely on works of the law. And that's a great translation. But uh, literally the Greek reads, and this is a horrible translation, which is why they didn't do this. It just says, for all who are of works of the law are under a curse. And the reason I show you that is because Paul is, is mirroring the same language he used to talks about faith. So really what he's saying is there are those who rely on faith for justification and those who rely on works. Those who are of faith and those who are of works. The point is there are only these two categories. There is two categories. There is blessing, there is curse, there is of faith, there is of works. Two options. There are only these two ways to live. To be of faith is to receive righteousness, blessing, and salvation from God. To be of works or to rely on works is to receive cursing, condemnation, and have an eternal death sentence hanging over your head. Why? Deuteronomy 27. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So the answer is simple. The reason the law only brings condemnation is because to follow the law or is because of what the law requires. Anyone who does not do and obey everything that is written in the law is condemned. You can see the standard The standard of the law, the requirement of the law, if you want to be justified by the law, you must obey it personally, perfectly, and perpetually. That is the standard. God is a holy God. He's given us his perfect and holy law. And that is what it takes to be justified by the law. And Paul is saying, it's not possible. It's not possible. And in fact, he doesn't argue this here. He's going to argue it later in Galatians. It was never meant for justification. The law was meant to show us our failure and to point us to Christ. And yet here these guys are saying, no, we're going to attempt to be justified by the law. And Paul says in Romans, that was Israel's whole problem. When they should have turned to God for mercy, they just kept going back to the law and kept Failing. This is a standard that no fallen, sin-tainted human can ever attain. The law is good and holy. The law is not the problem. The problem is us. We're not good. We're not holy. And so we stand condemned by it. Paul's first point to his opponents is simple. The law itself tells you what it requires. And you, oh, who claim to love the law, fall short of its standards. The law condemns you and it condemns me outside of Christ. Now, what he does next is a little bit, it's a very tight argument. It's a little hard to follow, but stick with me here. Now he's going to quote two more Old Testament scriptures back to back to prove, further prove his point. Again, that the Old Testament is clear that justification only comes by faith. Now, again, this is so cool because what Paul's not doing is like, guys, just forget it all. It's all about Jesus. No, he's saying, look, even the Old Testament is saying what I'm saying. There's been no change in that sense. So first, he says, now it is evident, it's clear that no one is justified before God by the law. For, and he quotes Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by faith. He says Habakkuk said this, and his point here is straightforward. But but to get to even kind of the, the depth of why this quotation is so cool, let me just explain a little language thing here. The word for justified and the word for righteous 
are the same word in Greek. They're, they're the same word family. So the word that's translated justified is a verb, dikaiao. So just notice how it sounds. And the word that's translated righteous is a noun, dikaios. It, it comes from the same word. So when Paul is saying the righteous shall live by faith, you could translate that the justified shall live by faith. Paul's saying, guys, it's right there in the Old Testament scriptures. It's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. Why? The justified, the righteous live by faith. That is how they live. That is how they live. Paul's beating the same drum. Justification before God only comes through faith, not works of the law. And then he goes to Leviticus and shows them the opposite thing. But the law is not of faith. Rather, this is Leviticus 18.5, The one who does them shall live by them. Now, here's Paul's logic, okay? The righteous, the justified, live by faith. That's Habakkuk 2.4. That's how they live. But the law does not contain faith. It's not of faith. It's not of the realm of faith. Why? Well, look at his quotation of Leviticus. The one who does them, that is God's commandments, shall live by them. No mention of faith, no mention of righteousness. Live by the law, die by the law. Paul is saying here, and what he's doing is he's making, again, this, this strong distinction, two categories that are mutually exclusive. There are two ways to seek justification before God. Faith or law. Faith or works. Faith alone in Christ justifies. Those who are righteous live by faith. Not because they're righteous in themselves, because they receive what Abraham received, righteousness from God. The other way to live is law, trying to earn your way into heaven, so to speak. The only way that that ends is condemnation in hell, because you cannot meet the standard. You cannot meet the standard. Sin is the problem, and you cannot atone for your own sins, no matter how perfectly you obey the law. You have to choose between these two. Now, let me be clear in case I haven't been. This is all about justification. This is about what you are relying on for your righteousness before God. Are you trusting alone in Jesus? That's faith. That's blessing. Or are you trusting in yourself and your own goodness? That's law. That's curse, condemnation. So I want you to think about this. I want to ask you that question. Which group are you in? Which way are you seeking and relying on for justification? Is your faith in Jesus Christ? Or is your faith in your own ability to be good and to obey God? So many people are living in the second category. And I'm afraid have been deceived into thinking that they are okay with God because they're really trying hard to be a good person. I'm sure you've had conversations like this. They try to do good things and maybe they sprinkle some religion in it to make them feel better, to assuage their guilty conscience. Maybe they go to church. Maybe they say their prayers. They do all the outward religious ceremonies. But it's all trusting in what? Their own actions their own faithfulness to whatever standards they have come up with or are adhering to. This is law. This is law. They are seeking to earn their justification by what they can prove to God, what they can merit or earn before God. And friend, if this is you, you are under the curse of God because you have fallen short of his perfect standard. You will never observe enough religious ceremonies. You will never do enough good works to earn yourself a place with God. All of your good works are stained and tainted by sin and simply serve to further condemn you. There is no hope in your own ability and in trying to impress God with all of the things that you do. He is not impressed. He is offended. You have sinned. I have sinned. We have all sinned and fallen short 
of the glory of God. And outside of faith in Christ, the Bible says that you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of judgment. That is curse, dead in your trespasses and sins. Every attempt that you make of earning God's favor offends him more, no matter how much religiosity you try to dress it up in. That is the condemnation that the law brings. And that is what Paul is saying of these false teachers. You are leading people into condemnation. That's why Jesus told the Pharisees, when you make a convert, you make them twice the son of hell as they were before. There is no harder person to reach with the gospel than the person who thinks they are a moral and good person and are okay with God. I'm sure you've had that experience. So if that is you, your situation is serious, it is dire, but it is not hopeless. Because that is not the end of the matter. Bursting through this darkness of curse and law and condemnation comes Christ the Savior. And that's where Paul takes us next. Look look at verse 13. He brings it all together. He ties together Abraham and Christ and everything. Well, if the law is our problem because our, our sin is the problem because the law condemns us, what is the solution? Christ. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, Paul says, by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed be everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that's us, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Oh, sinner, behold the Savior, the Redeemer. Jesus Christ is the answer to the condemnation of the law. Jesus Christ is the answer to those who are weighed down by guilt and shame, who are weary from trying to earn their own righteousness and failing every time. Jesus Christ is the answer for all those who are asphyxiating under the curse of the law. Why? How? Look at the text. He redeemed us. He rescued us from the curse of the law by taking the curse upon himself on the cross. All of our sins, all of the curses of the law, all of those horrible things we read on Deuteronomy fell upon his shoulders by his willing submission to the Father. The condemnation that was rightfully ours, the wrath that was rightfully ours, the curse that was rightfully ours, the sin that was rightfully ours, he took upon himself on the cross. Peter says he bore our sins in his body on the tree. He became a curse for us. Paul says later, he who knew no sin became sin for us. He is our substitute He atoned for our sins by taking our place with his own blood. And by shedding his own blood, he did what the entire sacrificial system of the Old Testament could never do because the entire sacrificial system of the Old Testament was pointing forward to Christ Jesus. He accomplished our redemption upon the cross, a one-time sufficient sacrifice for all who would believe in him by faith. Why did he do this? Why did Christ die? Because he loved us. Because he wanted us. He wanted you, brother and sister, to receive the blessing of Abraham, the promise of the Holy Spirit, salvation, righteousness in his name. You could not do it on your own, and so Christ came and did it for you. And what is the, and the, the, the delivery method of this blessing is the Holy Spirit. Now notice something. Is it our faith that saves us, that justifies us? No, it's not. If our faith saved us, faith would be a work. It'd be something that we could boast about. No, no. What saves us is being in Christ Jesus. What saves us is being united to him. Faith is the mechanism that unites us to him, and being united to him is what saves us, being counted in him by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is why Paul, and you'll notice the more that you read the New Testament and you hear the songs that we sing, this language is always there. This is why Paul says in Romans 8 that for those who are 
in Christ Jesus, there is now no longer any condemnation. The law, which used to rightfully condemn us, is now powerless over us in Christ Jesus because in Christ Jesus we have died to the law. We're as good as dead to the law. This is incredibly good news. The 20th century theologian J. Gresham Machen put it this way. I love this. He says, we may imagine a dialogue between the law of God and a sinful man. Man, says the law of God, have you obeyed my commands? No, says the sinner. I have transgressed them in thought, word, and deed. Well then, sinner, says the law, have you paid the penalty which I have pronounced upon those who have disobeyed? Have you died in the sense that I meant when I said, the soul that sins shall die? Yes, says the sinner, I have died. That penalty that you pronounced upon my sin has been paid. What do you mean, says the law, by saying that you have died? You do not look as though you had died. You look as though you were very much alive. Yes, says the sinner, I have died. I died there on the cross outside the walls of Jerusalem. For Jesus died there as my representative and my substitute. I died there so far as the penalty of the law was concerned. You say Christ is your representative and substitute, says the law? Then I have indeed no further claim of penalty against you. The curse which I pronounced against your sin has indeed been fulfilled. My threatenings are very terrible, but I have nothing to say against those for whom Christ died. That is the blessing of the gospel. Christian, this is true of you. You have died to the law in Christ Jesus. As far as the law is concerned, you're as good as dead, powerless to condemn you. You will face no condemnation because you are in Christ Jesus and he has accomplished your salvation. But that's only half of the good news. You see, in this great exchange that happened at the cross, two things happened. That's only one of them. Christ took upon himself our sin, our curse. But here's the second part that we saw with Abraham. By faith now, we receive his righteousness. Jesus was able, Jesus was able to obey the law perfectly, personally, perpetually, his entire life. He fulfilled all of its demands. He lived a perfect life, obedient to the Father in everything. Our sin and failure on the cross was credited to his account. His righteousness and perfect obedience is credited to our account by faith. So that we stand, you stand before the judgment seat of God with the very righteousness of the perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. When God looks upon you, Christian, you whose faith is in Christ, he is overjoyed Because what he sees in your account is the very righteousness of his own beloved son. The righteousness of Christ. He sees perfect obedience. That is yours in Christ Jesus, brothers and sisters. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Why? So that in him, there's that union language, in him we might become the righteousness of God through faith, not by earning it. That is the good news of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. That is the great exchange of faith. This is why we sing. This is why we live. This is why we do what we do. And we receive all of these benefits and many more that Paul will list out later in Galatians by faith. And faith alone, in Christ alone. No amount of works can earn it. No amount of our own efforts earn any justification. It comes by faith alone in Christ alone. That is the good news for sinners like you and I, and Paul will tell us later in Galatians, the person whose faith is in Christ and who has been credited the righteousness of Christ by God and who has received the Holy Spirit of God through faith, they now live out and bear the fruits of the Spirit and fulfill the law. Not earning anything, but simply obeying out of the gratitude of their salvation, which is exactly what Abraham did. So brothers and sisters, rejoice in the salvation that God has granted to you. And as you gaze and marvel at the glorious Christ, as you contemplate the mercy, his mercy towards you in the glories of the gospel, 
Let your heart overflow in love and grace towards others. Understand the radical freedom and grace of the gospel and be freed from the penalty of the law. Be freed from your own self-righteousness. Be freed from judging others. Only in this freedom can we love and obey God. And if you're here this morning and your faith is not in Jesus, maybe you've rejected him completely. Maybe you're, you're trying to figure it out. Maybe you're, you're thinking, though, well, I mean, I'm a pretty good person. I know other people who have done worse things. You're, you're trying to earn your way into heaven. You're relying on anything besides Jesus and Jesus alone. You think you'll be fine. I implore you, repent, turn, turn from that path. That path that you are on ends in damnation and cursing. The scriptures are clear. The law of God condemns you. So friend, turn to Jesus Christ. Go to God in prayer. Cast yourself upon his mercy. Call out to him to save you. Call out in faith in Christ and you will find in him justification, righteousness, freedom, salvation. And you will receive the very Holy Spirit of God inside. And if that's you this morning, come talk to me. Talk to anyone. Talk to one of the pastors. Talk to someone you came with. We would love to pray with you and talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to receive the righteousness of God. Well, in our church history class, we've been going through a collection of writings the second century, from the second century called the Apostolic Fathers. And I want to close with this quote. This goes all the way back to 100 AD, just after the New Testament. Hear these words, let them wash over you, and brothers and sisters, let them propel you into worship. This is what it says. But when our wickedness, wickedness had reached its height, and it had been clearly shown that its reward, punishment, and death was impending over us, and when the time had come which God had before appointed for manifesting his own kindness and power, how the one love of God, through exceeding regard for men, did not regard us with hatred, nor thrust us away, nor remember our iniquity against us, but showed great long-suffering and bore with us. He himself took on him the burden of our sin. He gave his own son as a ransom for us, the Holy One for transgressors, the blameless one for the wicked, the righteous one for the unrighteous, the incorruptible one for the corruptible, the immortal one for those who are, are mortal." For what other thing was capable of covering our sins than his righteousness? What other one was it possible that we, the wicked and ungodly, could be justified than by the only Son of God? Oh, sweet exchange. Oh, unsearchable operation. Oh, benefits surpassing all expectation that the wickedness of many should be hid in a single righteous one and that the righteousness of one should justify many transgressors. Amen. Let's pray.